Might be one or two of you may still be working on the test, but uh, just bring those to me at the end of the class back here at the back table, and we'll be okay. We're going to start a new series today, The Works of Jesus. Turn to uh, John chapter 14. That's John chapter 14, and we'll start reading at verse number 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father." Then turn to Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 15. We'll start there. What concord hath Christ with Belial or Belial, how you want to pronounce that? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There's another scripture, I think it's in the book of Tim, one of the epistles to Timothy. It says, purge yourself of these, and you'll be a, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, purge yourself, and you'll become a fit vessel for the Master's use. So we're going to talk about the works of Jesus today. We're starting a brand new study, and there's a lot that could be said about the works of Jesus. He did a lot of things while He was here on earth. When you think about the works of Jesus, immediately some of the more prominent miracles, you know, would pop up and you'd begin to think about all of the things that he did uh, while he was here. But you actually are just looking at the things that were recorded about Jesus because during his three-year ministry, he, was, he actually ministered only three years, but during that three years of time, he was extremely busy. If you'll uh, just read through the... Uh, Gospels, you'll see how that he went everywhere, every city and town and village and country, and everywhere he went, he was preaching and teaching in the synagogues. He was casting out devils. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was constantly doing something. But not everything that he did was recorded. And the last verse in the uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, verse 25 says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did. In other words, everything that you've read, what you've read is not everything that he did. So, so uh, don't just assume that uh, he healed a few sick folk and raised a few dead or, or something like that. He did many things. The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So uh, he must have done quite a lot while he was here uh, if John felt like that if we wrote it all down, that we couldn't be able to house the, the books uh, that would be written about Jesus. He did more in that three and a half years that he was here than all of Christendom has done since he was here, I would think. 
Because I think, you know, I don't believe that if we wrote everything that, that the church has done, I suppose we could probably uh, find the building to contain the books. But John says we couldn't house all the books of, of written about the things that, that Jesus did. Now, let's talk about the works and, and let's just see who was actually doing the works. And we'll learn some things about that and how you can, can do the works. Today, we're going to talk about the works. Next week, we're going to talk about the purpose of those works. And then the following week, which will be the last week in the series, we're going to talk about how you or what you need to do in order to do the works of Jesus. So let's just begin to talk about it. Let's just see what he did uh, today. Let's do the works. Now, Jesus several times in this scripture, in John chapter 14 that I've just read to you, he indicated that it was the Father that was doing the work through him. Uh, Jesus said, if you know me, you're going to know the Father. In other words, just observe me. If you want to see what the Father is like, if you want to get a glimpse uh, uh, about Father God, then just Jesus said, just watch me. Just follow me. Just look at me. See the things that I do. John chapter 14, look what he said in verse 7. He said, if you had known me, you should have known the Father. You should have known my Father. If you know me, you should have known my Father. Now, Jesus is simply saying, uh, what, I, what he is, I am. What he says, I say. What he does, I do. I am a personification. I am, I am God in flesh. In other words, that's why we call him Emmanuel, because he is God in flesh. He came and tabernacled himself in human flesh so that we could see God, so that we could know God. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. You see, John gave us a, a terrific riddle uh, when he opened up his gospel. He said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. That sounds like something that Solomon would have written, doesn't it? It's one of those puzzles that he would have put together to challenge his reader with. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, but yet the Word was God. Now that, that's really challenging, and you cannot understand that with your finite, with your human mind. And I think John realized that, that he had, he had his reader completely confused so when 13 verses later, down in verse number 14, he said, And the word that I was talking about, the Logos of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, so that we might behold the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, the word became flesh. In other words, he was tabernacled among men. If you put, break that down a little further, it means he pitched his tent with mankind. He took his abode from heaven and placed it right next door to you. He lives right next door to us. And now, in fact, he lives where? In us. So he's in us. So everything that John was saying about Jesus, he, I believe he's really saying it about us too. I believe he's saying it about us. Because we'll find out down a little bit further that God said, just as I, or Jesus said, just as the Father is in me, he will be in you also. So, so John is talking about us as much as he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, if you had known the, me, you should have known the Father. He was, he was challenging Philip uh, here to, and, and us as well to watch him, to study him, to find out about him and see the works that he did. So to, to know Jesus is to know the Father, but to see him is also, also to see the Father in uh, verse 9 of that same chapter. Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that seeth, he that hath seen me, hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You know, in the natural, a lot of us men, and a lot of you women as well, you are like your parents, you know. Somebody told me something the other day, and, I, and, and it was a challenging thought. He said, you know, he said, if your parents didn't have any children, there's a good possibility you won't either. <laughs> Think about that just a minute. Think about that just a minute. <laughs> but since your parents did have children, you have a tendency, you have a tendency to be like them, don't you? Amen. Amen. That's right. Now, you, you never, many of you never met my father. I don't know that anybody in here ever did meet my father. Maybe my wife did. I know she did. You, you did? <laughs> Sister Patsy says she did as well. Uh, the older I get, the more I find myself doing the things that he did. 
and, and saying the things that he said and, and walking the way he walked. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just becoming more like him the, the older I get. I, I even, I'm at the point now, I hadn't told Barbara this, but I'm even at the point now I want to buy a hat. Yeah, he used to. <laughs> he, wore, he wore a hat, you know, a, a brimmed hat, all, not a cap. I'm talking about a hat. And I'm, I'm getting ready to buy me one, Lambion. <laughs> Barbara said, no, I'm not. <laughs> But Philip said, uh, Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Just take a good look at me. And if the Father walked in the room, and that's what I say to you, if my dad could walk in this room today, you would automatically know that he was my dad. There's no question about that. You would know that, that he is my dad, or that he was my dad. He's, he's in heaven now, praise God, enjoying, enjoying his reward. But if he were able to walk in here right now, you would know that he and I were in, belong in the same family. So Jesus is saying he and God belong in the same family. But now that God abides in you, you've been adopted into that family as well. You belong in that family. So when the world sees you, they should be looking at Jesus. They should, in essence, be looking at God. They should see God. Can the, let me just ask you that question. Can the world see Jesus in you? There was a lady in uh, uh, Royston, Georgia, Granny Jones, I've, I've told this story once or twice before, but all of you probably haven't heard it. But Granny Jones was a, a, a Christian lady in Royston, Georgia, and she was not a very attractive lady, you know, as far as the world standards would go. She, she wore her dress way down to her, her uh, wrist and her way down to her ankles, and, and her hair was in a bun. And, you know, she just this typical uh, uh, Pentecostal-looking grandmother. You, you know what I'm saying? And she was really, really nothing extremely attractive. But every time that she would walk down the street, people would stop and just look at her and watch her. Well, Bishop Williams, who happened, who happened to be living in Royston or, or Franklin Springs at that time, was over at Royston one day and he knew her well. And he saw her come out of a store. And he glanced in her direction. And as she started walking down the street, there were two men working on the sidewalk. And as she approached, they stopped their work and just stared at her and followed her all the way down the street, all the way down until she went into the next store, and then they went back to work. Well, he asked, he, he decided he was going to find out what was going on, so he goes to Granny and asks her, Granny, why is it that when you walk down the street, people stop in their tracks and just watch you? She said, well, well Bishop, every morning when I get up, I pray, when I go out, don't let the world see me. But Father, let the world see Jesus in me. Let the world see Jesus in me. Don't, I don't want to be anything. I want to become less and Him to become more. And then what the Apostle Paul said, let us decrease that He might increase. So we need to let the world see Jesus. Jesus said, if you're looking at me, you're looking at who? You're looking at the Father. He, and then, then there's some other scripture references there in John 10, uh, 30. Let's see, what, what did I write? Oh, okay, I know what that says. It says, he and the Father are one. He said, I and my Father are one. In other words, we're one and the same. You can't distinguish between the two of us. If you saw us, you wouldn't be able to distinguish. Now, Jesus goes on to tell Philip, he said, to hear me is to hear the Father. If you hear the things I say, then you're hearing the things the Father says. Look at verse 10. Believest thou that believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So he's talking about speaking to begin with. You see, he says, I speak not of myself, and then he ends this by, but the Father doeth the works. So he's doing the works how? With his speech, with his mouth. The words of his mouth is producing the works. He's creating the works with the words of his mouth, the words that he heard his father say, the very things he heard his father say. That's not hard to understand because, listen, he was in heaven with the father. You hang around somebody long enough, and what are you going to do? You're going to begin to talk like them. You know, it's always, you know, I, I think, well, here's a little, here's a little three-year-old boy, a little five, four, five-year-old boy, and he can speak French. Why? Because his mom and dad spoke French, you see. It, what he heard is what he is saying. You know, it would be hard for us to, to learn that language, isn't it, Brother Donald? But, and here we are, grown folks. 
Here we are grown folks. But here's this little boy can speak it fluently. Why? Because that's what he heard, you see. In America, all of the people basically speak English predominantly. Why? Because that's what they have heard. Jesus says, what I hear is what I am saying. What I have said is what I have heard. I don't say these things of myself. I simply speak it because I heard my father speak it. I say the words that he said. Now, now the works that Jesus did, let's explore this fact. He did not do the works. This is important. They're very important. Jesus did not do the works simply because he was the Son of God. You hear that? He did not do the works simply because he was and is the Son of God. Go to John chapter 5. Now, I know, I know what this says. I know that the Bible says that, uh, that he was the Son of God and that he did what he saw his Father do. Listen to what it says in verse number 19. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but he that seeth, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. In other words, I'm watching the Father, Jesus is saying. I've seen him do these things. Therefore, I do these things. Now back up at verse number 17, Jesus answered them and said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. In other words, I'm, I'm following in His occupation. I'm doing what He did. Have you ever noticed in the natural, a lot of times family and occupation seems to flow in a family? It seemed to flow, go in that direction. Whatever the, the grandfather or the father did, the children seemed to emulate and do the same thing. Jesus is simply saying, the works that I'm doing, I've seen my father do. I'm following in my father's footsteps. I'm walking where he walked. I'm saying what he said. I'm doing what he did. But he didn't do it simply because he was the son of God. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2 right quickly. And verse number 22. It says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. A what? A man. Approved of God among you by miracles and signs, or wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself know. So it said, Jesus was a man. Man. So the things that he did, he did as a man. It was the Father in him that did the work, but he was doing it as a man. Go to Acts chapter 10. And look at uh, verse number 38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't anoint Christ of heaven, but he anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was a man. But it was the Father in him that was doing the work because of the anointing. And guess what? This same God that dwelled in Jesus dwells where? Dwells in you. So we ought to be able to do the works of Jesus as well. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go there. We, didn't, we went to 2 Corinthians a little while ago, but let's go to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse number 19. I like that first word with that question mark. It should have had an exclamation point behind it, an exclamation mark behind it as well. Because Paul is talking to the Corinthians about fleeing fornication and evil works. And he says, what? He was astonished that they were still involved in some of the things they were involved in. Because he said, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Don't you know that God dwells and lives in you? Why then are you involved in all of these worldly things? Why are you doing your own thing? Why are you hooked up with the world? And why are you not hooked up with God? Because God dwells where? In you. He said, what? Know you not that you are the temple of God? Uh, temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. 
You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. So you ought to be doing what God wants to do rather than what you want to do. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, a lot of people come to church on Sunday. And I say Sunday because that's the only time they come is on Sunday. And they want their spirit to get hooked up with God's spirit. They want to do something in the spirit, you know. They want to feel something, they, you know, and get moved by something. They want the pastor to bless them. They say, here I am, bless me if you can kind of thing. You know, just put my spirit up. When all the time, Monday through Saturday, the body is living like hell, excuse me. But that's what they're doing. They live like hell Monday through Saturday and then come in here on Sunday and expect the spirit to get in the groove. Guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not good. It don't work that way. He said, glorify God in your spirit and in your body. Praise God. Don't make me mad. <clears throat> don't make me mad. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We were there just a little bit ago. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then we're going to go back to verse number 14 this time. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now all the time I grew up, and some of you probably the same thing, the whole time I grew up, it was taught to me that that scripture is telling me not to marry an unbeliever. And it, and it is. We should not, you should not marry outside of your faith. Don't, don't say, well, look, I know that, that I'm a born-again, tongue-talking believer, you know, in the faith movement, and this person is out there in the world. I'm, I, I met them, you know, they were coming out of a bar half drunk, and I met them, and I'm trying to rehabilitate them. <laughs> And when we get married, I'll straighten them up. But guess what? The journey is always downhill. It's never, water doesn't flow uphill. You pour water out and it's going downhill. You're not going to hook up with somebody in the world and pull them out. They're going to pull you in. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to find somebody of like faith. Somebody that, that born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues, praying in tongues, working miracles with signs and wonders in their life and get hooked up with that person. But let me go back here now where I was at. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That goes farther than just marriage. That includes your business activities as well. Don't go in business with an unbeliever. Just because it's a good idea and somebody is masquerading themselves and selling themselves as a believer when you know in fact that they are living like the devil day in and day out and you think you're going to get hooked up with that person and prosper. Never in this world. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what, listen, for what fellowship have righteousness, he's calling you righteous, with unrighteous, he's calling the world unrighteous. And what communion hath light, he's calling you light, with darkness. He's calling the world darkness. So you see, you can't hook up with unrighteousness, and you can't hook up with darkness, and expect your righteousness and your light to keep on shining. Amen. Get, get clear of that thing. And what concord hath Christ, he's calling you Christ, with Belial, with the devil, or what part hath the believer, or he that believeth, you, with the infidel, which is the world. And what agreement hath the temple of God, which you are the temple of God, with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I will dwell in them, walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, isn't that great to know that God lives in us. God lives in us. So, it was the Father in Jesus doing the works, and that same God lives and dwells in you. So therefore, as Jesus said, you too can do the same works that he did. Go back to John chapter 14. Go back, let's go back and look at what he said now. John chapter 14. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that believeth on me, verse 12, the works that I do shall he do also. So if you believe on him, he's saying, watch me, read me, see me, hear me. The things that I am doing, you have the right, you have the privilege, you have the authority to do the same thing. But the tragedy of this whole thing is that the church is sitting around doing squat, doing nothing. The church is not taking what Jesus did and going to the world and duplicating or reproducing the works of Jesus. They're sitting around begging and crying and praying and pleading. They're saying, well, if we pray long enough, if we cry hard enough, you ever seen people come down uh, and begin to pray and all of a sudden they're just squalling and bawling? Oh God, please do something. If you don't do something, God, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, guess what? God's already done all that God is going to do. Amen. He sent Jesus into the world. I had, I had a lady, I pastored a church not far from here, and a lady in my church, she came to me and said, Brother Williams, my children are out in sin and I pray to God. I say, God, Take my life if that's what it'll take for my children to get born again. I said, well, sister, Jesus died and they didn't care. They ain't going to care if you die. Go on and die and get out of the way. <laughs> it's going to make no difference to them if you die this minute. They're going to still live in sin. Amen. Because they have rejected, not you, but they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. They rejected the Holy One of Israel. They rejected the Son of God. And it's going to make no difference if you die. You give up anything you want to give, including your life, that's not going to make your family turn around. Amen. Because God has already done all that God is going to do. Amen. He sent Jesus into the world so you can beg and plead and cry all you want. The Bible says, it doesn't say cry before God. It says come boldly before the throne of grace. Now, a bold person is not one that's crying and hollering and squalling all the time. They got their head up high. They know who they are. They know what their rights and privileges are. And they go into the presence of God and place demands on the Word of God. They remind God of what He said. They said, God, let me tell you what you said in your Word. Let me tell you that what you said applies to me because I am your child. You did it then. You can do it now and you will do it and are doing it in my life. And you boldly go into the presence of God. You don't go in crying and bawling and squalling and pleading and saying, oh God, please help me. Do something about my situation. And nobody's going to do nothing about your situation but you. You're the one that's got to do it. Now, Jesus said concerning this business of getting busy, he said the daylight is precious, so it's time for you to get busy. Go to John chapter 9. And verse number, verse, verse number 4. He says, I must do the works of him, or I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Some things you just can't do in, in the dark. I always tell my, my children, nothing happens after midnight except meanness. Ain't nobody out after midnight but the devil and you. So you come home. Leave the devil out there and you get your butt home. No man can work in the darkness. That's where the devil is at. He's called us out of the kingdom of darkness and planted us or translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, which is a kingdom of light, L-I-G-H-T, light. And the church is wasting time, sitting around in the daytime, doing nothing with what Jesus said. Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. So we ought to be about our Father's business. I've told you a bit ago, I was pastoring a church not far from here, and it was... Uh, 1992, on March the 9th, 1992. Let me tell you what God said. I'm going to tell you a little bit of it, what God said. He, and he, there was a lot more, and I wrote it all down, but I'm going to read to you this part. He said, what I have called you to do. Now, look, he wasn't just talking to me. He's talking to you. Yes. This word is for the church as well as it was for me. What I have called you to do, you must do quickly. There are so many who have not yet heard the truth. They are walking in the traditions of men and denominational doctrine. T 
time is short. I am coming soon and you must not waste any more time. I felt like back then I was spinning my wheels. Nothing was happening. We had gotten a hold of the faith message and we were preaching the faith message in a denominational setting and it was being rejected. Being rejected because of the traditions of men. They were satisfied to keep doing what they were doing. A lot of times they would come back and they would say, Brother Williams, uh, this is what we want to do. And my question would be, why do you want to do that? And you know what the answer was? Because that's what we've always done. You do what you've always done and you'll do what? Get the results that you've always got, which is going to be nothing. All right. Walking in the tradition of time, I'm coming soon and you must not waste any more time. You know the traditions of men is not the way. If you will contend for the faith and follow me, you will turn thousands to the truth before I return. And I believe that's coming to pass. That's coming to pass. That was in March the 9th of 1992. And later that same year, uh, during the summer month, Barbara knows when, June, July maybe, uh, she knows the exact Sunday, we came to Eagle's Nest and got hooked up with this vision, got hooked up with Pasta and, and right here at Eagle's Nest. And we've been here ever since because this is a good place. Amen. This is a good place to get hooked up. Amen. This is a good place to work. It's fertile ground, good ground, and we got a man of God here that'll teach you the right stuff if you'll just listen, if you'll just pay attention. So it's time for you to stop wasting time and get busy doing what God called you to do. People reject the works, just like I was telling you just, bit of, just a little bit ago, but that shouldn't, you shouldn't stop just because people are rejecting the truth. John chapter 1, verse number 11, this is probably, to me, the saddest statement in the entire Bible. Jesus said, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He was rejected by His own kin, by His own folks, by His own family. Go to Mark chapter 6. I don't know about you, but I'm about to preach myself happy up here. Mark chapter 6, verse number 1. And he went out from thence and came unto his own country, and his, own, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? We know this guy. He's a homeboy. He's, he's a hometown guy. We grew up with him. We went to high school with him. We know what he did when he was in school. We know how he acted up. We saw all the things he did then. We know his carousing and all of this. So why should we even listen to him? You know, I'm a pretty smart guy, Amen. if I say so myself. Amen. But do you know that my own family, my brothers, very seldom do they take advice. They won't listen to sound reasoning. We got a situation with my mother going on right now, and I know I have some answers. I know that, that, that some things could, could be fixed, but they just won't listen to sound reasoning. Why? Because they know me. We slept in the same bedroom. We played in the same yard. We went to school together. They know me. Is, aren't you my brother? Who do you think you are? <laughs> That's the attitude, you see. Amen. That's the attitude. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I traveled halfway around the world where people didn't know me and they heard that I was traveling a long way to come to tell them some, some, some truth, they would listen. They would listen. They would listen. If, if Pastor Jim and I were to decide that we're going to hold a week's revival in, in this sanctuary, the chances are good that we would just get this crowd. Just this crowd. But if we sent off somewhere, way off somewhere, and paid $1,000 to fly somebody in here and let John Q. Public know that this person was coming from a long way, that, build, that room would be full. Yes. That room would be full. Because they think the truth from out there is better than the truth right here. When it's all the same truth. Amen. When it's all the same truth. It don't make any difference. Amen. It's not the messenger. It's the message. Amen. 
It's the message that counts. If the truth is being preached, it will change your life. Jesus didn't say you'll know the messenger and the messenger will set you free. He said you'll know the truth. And it's the truth. It's the knowing of the truth. If you will receive the truth, it don't matter who's teaching it and who's preaching it. But he goes on to say, is not this a comment. And then verse number four, but Jesus said, I, a prophet, is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save lay, that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So all he could do was just lay his hand on a few sick folk. So when nothing else will work, when all else fails, just start laying hands on people. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, the believer will lay hand on the sick and the sick shall recover. Now, what are the works of Jesus? Let's hurry along right quickly. We're just at the beginning of page two and well, we got two more pages after this. What are the works of Jesus? When John heard about the works of Jesus, he had some questions concerning that. Go to uh, Luke's gospel chapter seven right quickly. Luke chapter seven, Matthew, Mark, Luke. There's Luke. Luke chapter 7, and we'll start at uh, verse number 18. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. And John calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And when the men were come unto, unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities. The people that came to inquire, he healed their infirmities and plagues and of the evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered, said, go your way. Tell John what things you have seen and heard. Now, you, you know, if, you've been, if you're an eyewitness to something, you can tell what you've seen and heard. You know, a second-hand miracle doesn't have near the effect that a first-hand miracle has. You can talk about somebody else's testimony, but when you have a testimony yourself, it makes the difference. He said, go and tell what you've seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. So that's some of the works that Jesus did. Now, 75% of the miracles of Jesus or the works of Jesus dealt with healings. There's more about healing than there are about other miracles. Jesus saves and Jesus heals. Amen. <laughs> if you know that, you got it. You go out and preach that Jesus saves and preach that Jesus heals. You might just preach it in reverse order. Jesus heals to get their attention and then Jesus saves, praise God. Ring the dinner bell. Now he did other works. In John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. In John chapter 5, there was a net breaking load. Now, particularly Mark, Luke 5, I want you to look at that one. You, you're in Luke, so just jump back to Luke 5 just a second. I want you to see something that jumped out at me. And this is like, this is like the church today. It came to pass as the people pressed unto him to hear the word, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and oh, of Simon Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking or finished his preaching, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, nets, see that? Nets for a drought, for a lot of fish. You, there's a lot of fish out there, so you need your nets. Put your nets out. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You see that? Jesus said, Simon, you're going to need nets. But Simon said, I'll, I'll just throw out a net. That, that kind of jumped up and caught my attention. You see, God wants us to get involved, and, and He is a, a more than enough God, you know, and, and He wants to produce this great miracle, His work in our life. But somehow, we, like the Apostle Peter, are saying, well, we're not quite worthy of that. We, we'll, we'll believe just a little bit. We'll, we'll go just a little way, God. We'll take a small miracle, God. 
You know, we'll, we'll just, our faith is not up to that level, you know, of, of, of total debt free. We can't, we, we can't seem to get it into our spirit that God is able to pay us completely out. So we'll just set a little goal and say, say God, look, I got this little furniture bill down at the store. If you'll just take care of that furniture bill, God, that'll be enough. I'll labor with the rest of it. I'll put the rest of it on my back and tote the rest of it around. If you'll just take care of this little furniture bill. Because if you'll get rid of that, then my job, I have enough income that I can handle the rest of it. I'll have, I have enough income I can handle the rest of it. We see, this net caught fish, but the nets would have caught even an abundance. Because see, the net began to break, and fish escaped. But if it had been nets, plural, he would have encompassed a whole school of fish. He could have caught them all. He could have taken care of his needs and funded the gospel as well. So you see, God wants to, to put you in a position where you, your needs are met, but you have an abundant supply filled to the brim and running over so that you can continue to fund the gospel, so that you can continue to reach the lost, you can continue to spread the word. In the book of Deuteronomy, I got it down in there somewhere and I won't get to it. I can see that already. But he says that he gives you the power to get wealth so that he can establish his covenant. Now that's the reason for your wealth. Your wealth is not so that you can buy a fancy car and put it in the garage and just show it to your friends Amen. Right. when you want to try to persuade them to your way of thinking. Yeah, that's right. And say, look what I have. If you do what I did, you can have what I got. Amen. I wouldn't want a stinking car if I couldn't drive it on the highway. Amen. My wife's stepfather has a truck. And I, this thing's probably an 87 Chevrolet. Black stepside uh, flared fenders. I mean, it, it's beautiful. Looks like it came out of the showroom, sitting in a stinking garage. And I'll bet you that 87 Chevrolet truck today probably don't have 3,000 miles on it. Won't put anything in the back of it to haul it. A truck is made to haul stuff in. <laughs> a truck is a work tool. You buy it, you put stuff in it, and you haul it. And if it's a load of dirt, you throw dirt in the back of the truck. That's why they put that thing back there. I done lost my train of thought. Where was I at? Where was I at? Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. And I think it's Deuteronomy 8. He, he gives you the power to get wealth so that he can establish his covenant. The running over part, he wants to meet your need. Depressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give back to you. Amen. So that the part running over, you can continue to supply and meet the needs of others. Amen. And that brings me to another thought. I, I think I talked to Brother Donald about that this week. When somebody wants to bless you, Amen. don't shut their blessing down. Amen. The Bible said, men will give unto you. Hey, I expect people to give stuff to me. Amen. You know why? Because I'm a giver. That's right. Because I'm a giver. I try to give something away every day. Amen. If it's not nothing but just buy somebody lunch. Amen. I try to give something away every day. Cast it out on every wave and it'll come back on every wave. Be consistent in your casting out and it'll be consistent coming back. God gives you power to get wealth. Well, believers can do these works as well. Let's go on down right quickly. I want you to notice something about the believers and the works. Jesus said this, back at John chapter 14, verse number 12. Let's go back and read that verse 12 again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do. Notice he said, if you believe on me, you can do the works. Well, some people say, well, Jesus just did it because he was a son of God. Well, that's just half truth and half scriptural. He was a man. Philippians chapter 2 brings that out. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 brings that out as well. It says that, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. A male that's born of a woman grows up to be what? Grows up to be a man. So he was a man. John chapter 1 verse 14, we read about that. He became flesh and lived among us. Now, when, when you're reading in the Bible, I want you to pay attention to this because here we're talking about Jesus in John chapter 14. Jesus is his, the name for his humanity. Christ is the name of his deity. 
So if you're looking in the Bible somewhere and you see it says Jesus Christ, the emphasis is on His humanity. Letting us know that He was very much God, but the emphasis is on His humanity. If it says Christ Jesus, then the emphasis is on His deity. You, you see that? So he, he's, he's just as much man as He was God. I, I, there's, a song, there's a song that says He was so much man that He slept in a boat. And He was so much God, the wind ceased when He spoke. How about that? He was so much man, He thirsted at the well, but He was so much God that He saved her soul, that woman's soul, from hell. He was so much man, He wept when Lazarus died, but He was so much God, Lazarus came forth when He cried or hollered. He was so much man that He died on a tree, but He was so much God that He rose to save you and me. How about that? Amen. He was man, but I want you to know He was God as well. And so as a man, Jesus could heal no sick. He could do, do no miracles until He was anointed. Remember Acts chapter 10, 38? It says that God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And because Jesus was anointed of God, He did many works. And you can go to Luke chapter 19 and see that. I'm, I'm trying to get through this as quick as I can. Jesus said, if you believe on Him, you could do the same works, John chapter 14. So you must be a believer in order to do the works. We still have, if we're going to do the works, then we have to have some of the same equipment or the same equipment that He had. We have to have that anointing on our lives. If Jesus did it because He was the Son of God, then we couldn't do it because we're not the Son of God. We are a son and daughter of God adopted into the family, but we are not Jesus Christ. We're not Christ. But if He did it by the Holy Ghost, then we can do it. If He did it by the Holy Ghost, we can, because the greater one lives in us. The greater one lives in you and me. Let's go down to that uh, next section, God in you. In John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, The Father in him doeth the works. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words which I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. It's the Father in him that's doing the works. Now, where is God today? According to 2 Corinthians 6, he's in you. God is in you. He is not out yonder in some never, never land. You know, wandering way off yonder out somewhere, but he's right here in you today. God lives inside of you. God lives in you, and he's in me. Did Jesus have a different God in him than you have in you? No, he had the same Father. The same Father lived in Jesus, the same power. You have the same power. You have this, the same potentiality. You can produce the works of Jesus because the same God lives in you today. All this happened. Because Jesus went to the Father. You have that right. You have that privilege because Jesus went to the Father. John 14, verse 12, he says, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these, because I go to the Father. Because why did he go to the Father? Why was it necessary for him to go to the Father? He said when he went to the Father, he wasn't going to leave you alone. He wasn't going to leave you stranded, abandoned. But he said, when I go to the Father, I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to send you another in my stead. He's going to send another in my place. Now, I've been with you. He is with you. But he says he's going to go further than that. He's going to be where? In you. He's going to be in you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to dwell, going to live in you. Now you see why it was necessary. Or now you see why he said it was expedient for him or for you that, that he should go away. Now you have the right. You have the authority to speak to cancer. You have the authority to speak to, to disease. You have the authority to speak to poverty. The authority lives or resides within you because the greater one is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses. Now that's proof producers. You're going to produce some proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the authority to speak to cancer and expect cancer to dry up. You have the authority to speak to sickness and expect sickness to flee. 
You have the authority to speak to poverty and expect it to cease to exist. Because the Holy One, the Greater One, lives and dwells in you. The same God that was in Jesus is in you. John, 1 John 4, 4. You have overcome them. I like that part. You have. You have. That's past tense, isn't it? You have overcome them because the greater one lives in you. You're not going to overcome them. You don't have to put up with all of this mess of the devil. You've already overcome it because the greater one lives in you. Now let's read this last paragraph and we're going to close down because our guests are already in the back of the room. The revealed word says we are the temple of the living God. God said I will dwell in them and walk in them. So where is God living today? In you. Where is God walking today? Wherever you walk. Wherever you go, God goes. Because He's in you. Wherever you're walking. Somebody said, well, that's ridiculous to say God's walking in me. Be careful about that because the Bible says He does. The Bible says He does live in us and walk in us. People are waiting around neck deep in unbelief and therefore are cut off from the miraculous. Because unbelief ties the hands of God. Unbelief doesn't allow God to do what He wants to do in your life. You talk yourself right out of the works of God. You talk yourself right out of the blessings of God when you let your mouth start spewing out unbelief. Jesus did the works because God was with Him. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. Same God, same Father, same Holy Ghost, same anointing lives and dwells in you and is available to you today. So go back and look at John 14, 12. He says, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, he that does what? He that believeth. So it's necessary for you to believe. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do, and greater works also, because I go to my Father. My question to you then, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Well, if you are a believer, then you ought to be living and walking in Mark 16, 17, and 18. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. Are you casting out devils today? Are you? They shall speak with other tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick and the sick might recover. Sick shall recover. Isn't that what it said? Amen. Well, if you're a believer, expect it to happen. Next week, we're going to talk about the purpose of the works. So you be here. It's going to be an exciting time.